Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Fantasize Me, the podcast where I take characters real or imagined, and I fantasize them as D&D characters. I'm your host, Zach Katz, and... Wow, it has been some time since I have done an episode that was not based on a Halloween character. All of October, I did an episode every Monday that was Halloween-themed, and also a bonus episode every Thursday that was also Halloween-themed because I love Halloween, and there are so many fun characters to fantasize. But today, it is the first episode of November, so we can shelve all of the Halloween stuff and go do something different. So today on Fantasize Me, we are fantasizing Boudicca. So Boudicca was this badass warrior queen of the British Iceni tribe uh, who led an uprising against the conquering forces of the Roman Empire. And this is uh, like 60 or 61 AD. So, you know, almost 2000 years ago. The two primary sources from this period that reported and wrote on Boudicca specifically were Tacitus and Cassius Dio. Tacitus is a famed historian, and modern historians believe him to be just a very accurate ancient historian uh, at the time. So Boudicca is described by Cassius Dio as very tall and terrifying in appearance, with tawny hair hanging down to below her waist, a harsh voice, and a piercing glare. He writes that she habitually wore a large golden necklace, a colorful tunic, and a thick cloak fastened by a brooch. Now, Boudicca was the wife of King Prasuticus. King Prasuticus was the ruler of the Iceni, a people who inhabited what is now modern Norfolk. So it's a territory in Eastern England. And also there's no pronunciation guide for Prasutagus, so I'm just winging it. Most of the pronunciation is gonna be bad anyway. Just bear with me, it's fine, you get the gist. So under Emperor Claudius in AD 43, the Romans began the conquest of Southern Britain. And Boudicca's husband, King Prasutagus, allied his people with the Romans. He supported the invasion of 43 AD, and even when the Iceni people, his people who were proud of their independence, revolted against Roman rule in the year 47, he helped the Romans during the revolts. He even loved the Romans so much that he left money to Emperor Nero in his will. So upon Prasutagus's death in 60 or 61 AD, he left half of his fortune to his two daughters and the other half to the Roman Emperor Nero. So the historian Tacitus writes, the Icenian king Prasutagus, celebrated for his long prosperity, had named the emperor his heir, together with his two daughters, an act of deference which he thought would place his kingdom and household beyond the risk of injury. The result was contrary. So much so that his kingdom was pillaged by centurions, his household by slaves, as though they had been prizes of war. So King Prasutagus may have been the whole time just trying to appease the Romans, who had this vastly superior army, they were well equipped, they were well trained, and there were a lot of them. But all of his trying to appease them, if that's what he was doing, clearly didn't work because once he died, his home was just pillaged. Not even that, but his wife Boudicca was lashed, and his two daughters were raped. The estates of leading Iceni man were confiscated. And the reason that the Romans gave for this attack was essentially that, like, oh, the Icenians owed money to the Romans. 
So they use that as an excuse to just go in, kill a bunch of them, rape a bunch of them, and dip. Enter Boudicca, Queen Boudicca, wife of King Pursutagus. She gathers the remaining Icenians and teams up with the Trinovantes. Again, don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, probably not. Who are a tribe of people just to the south of the Icenian territory, which is now modern Essex. And the Trinovantes hated the Romans. These Roman settlers and Roman veterans drove people out of their houses, ejected them from their farms, called them captives and slaves. These groups had just been so abused by the Romans that I don't think it was that hard for Boudicca to convince them to fight back against Roman occupation. There are a few speeches that Boudicca gave, but they're fictitious speeches that Dio or Tacitus wrote just because the fantasy of it is a lot grander if she was this incredible orator. You can tell these are fake. These kind of pre-battle speeches that she would give were invented by ancient historians because they're very dramatic and they set the scene and the tension and they were very interesting to the reader. But Boudicca wasn't Greek. She wasn't Latin. So she wouldn't have addressed her people in either language, and those are the languages that Tacitus and Dio wrote the speeches in, and it's very unlikely that either of these two historians would have been able to accurately recount any of her speeches because they weren't there. These speeches do, however, portray through imagery just this image of British patriotism and laid the groundwork for Boudicca's legend to endure as the first real champion of the British people. So in one of these fictitious speeches, she addresses the Trinovantes and tells them their life was better before occupation, wealth cannot be enjoyed under slavery, and she places the blame upon herself for not expelling the Romans as they had done when Julius Caesar previously came for their land. They expelled Caesar. So all of these Britons were willing to fight the Romans alongside Boudicca for their freedom, these, this personal liberty. They wanted to be their own people. They didn't want to be Romans. So Boudicca led the Iceni and Trinovantes, this army of about 120,000 strong, to fight against the Romans. And Boudicca's first target was Camelodunum, which is modern Colchester, which was a Roman colonia for retired soldiers. And a colonia was originally a Roman outpost established in conquered territory to secure it. So these veterans and Romans came in and kicked out all the natives and just brutalized the ones that were still there. In Camelodunum, a Roman temple was erected in Camelodunum to Emperor Claudius, who's the one who had started the Roman conquest of Britain. So when Boudicca and her people attacked Camelodunum, there just were not enough forces to protect the city. So the colony of Camelodunum was captured. A bronze statue to the Emperor Nero was decapitated and its head taken as a trophy for Boudicca's army. Now this other person, a, a future governor, tried to take his legion to attempt to free the city from Boudicca's capture, but suffered an overwhelming defeat. She kicked his ass. The infantry with him were all killed, and only the commander and some of his cavalry escaped. So then there's this Roman general named Suetonius. He is currently in Londinium, which will eventually become London, and he knows that Boudicca's forces are going to try to take Londinium. So he's thinking, okay, is it possible to fight them here? 
but he had this huge lack of numbers, and he was kind of wary of the defeat that they handed that future governor. So he decided to sacrifice the city to save the province. So the wealthy citizens, the traders, everyone would have the resources to fled, and the rest of the inhabitants of Londinium were just kind of left there. Which sucks, because essentially Lindinium was abandoned to the rebels, they burned it down, and tortured and killed everyone who had not evacuated with Suetonius. So yes, Boudicca is kind of the, you know, kind of the protagonist of this story, still does a lot of murdering and torturing. Then this city of Verulamium, which is modern St. Albans, was also targeted by Boudicca and destroyed, although the extent of its destruction is unclear. They just don't have a record of it. So these three settlements have been destroyed, Camelodunum, Londinium, and Verulamium. So between 70 and 80,000 people are said to have been killed. The historian Tacitus said that the Britons had no interest in taking or selling prisoners, only in slaughter. So they just wanted to kill the Romans, they wanted them out of here, they wanted to send a message. So while Boudicca's army is assaulting Verulamium, the Roman general Suetonius regrouped his forces, so he amassed a force and got all of these legions and auxiliaries available to him. And still with all these people, he now commanded an army of almost 10,000 men. According to the historian Dio, the rebels number 230 to 300,000. But Suetonius took a stand at an unidentified location. There's so much speculation where this place was, where this battle is going to take place probably somewhere along the Roman road now known as Watling Street, and he set up in this narrow pass with a wood behind him. So this really advantageous position, but his men were heavily outnumbered, as I said, perhaps 230 to 1. But still, Boudicca was defeated. Her army was defeated by Suetonius, and according to Tacitus, neither the women or the animals were spared. Which is unusual because, well, at that point in time, both animals and women could have been sold for profit. But because of this just mutual enmity between the Britons and the Romans, they just didn't want any survivors. They killed everyone they could. Tacitus originally writes that Boudicca, instead of being captured, poisoned herself. Dio says that she just fell sick and died and was given this lavish burial. So Boudicca fought for British freedom, fought against the Romans, and in fact, it's said that Nero almost was persuaded to abandon Britain, Emperor Nero, the emperor of Rome at the time. So if Boudicca hadn't been defeated, who knows what would have happened? But another thing that occurred because of her uprising, Nero replaced the governor with a more conciliatory one, someone who would be more sympathetic and kinder to the British people, and hopefully not allow the brutalizing of them by the Romans. So now in the modern age, there's actually this 36 mile or 58 kilometer long distance footpath called Boudicca's Way that passes through countryside between Norwich and Dis in Norfolk. So you can walk this 36 mile footpath that uh, Boudicca supposedly went through. So that's some background on Boudicca. There's a lot of politics that I didn't get into because I don't... <laughs> honestly don't entirely understand all of it. I don't exactly have an extensive knowledge of Roman history. I know like the basics, but I did my best to summarize Boudicca's story for you. So now that we know about her, let's pick background. I looked at a bunch of different backgrounds and none of them, none of them fit. So I'm going to make my own. 
and Boudicca is called the Warrior Queen, so this is going to be the Warrior Queen background. So just really simply create a background. You need just a couple skill proficiencies, maybe tool proficiencies, maybe some languages. That's pretty much all a background is. All backgrounds also have this feat that you can use for like role-playing purposes. I never really use them. I don't I don't pay them much mind. So we're just going to go with skill proficiencies. I'm thinking a warrior queen has to be good at survival and persuasion. So she's going to have proficiencies in survival and persuasion. And then languages, I'm going to say two languages of her choice because it helps to speak other languages when you're doing like diplomacy and stuff. That makes sense. So boom, so easy. Warrior queen background done. Next, we go on to race. Race is going to be... I kind of want to do human. I mean, I always want to do human because I want her to start with a feat. So I think inspiring leader makes sense. But I will refrain. I had a human not too long ago with... I think Morticia Adams started as a human. Well, she didn't start as a human. She just is a human. Anyway, I think I'm going to go with half-elf. That feels right to me. Because, like... This regal, you know, she's she's described as being just like tall and perhaps like frightening looking. And I think half elves might be able to get that uh, stature correct. So as a half elf, she's going to gain plus two to charisma, as well as two from strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, or wisdom. So we're going to have to pick where to put these ability scores, but plus two to charisma. She's also going to gain dark vision. Love that. She has fey ancestry. So she has advantage on saving throws against being charmed and magic can't put her to sleep. With skill versatility, she's going to gain proficiency in two skills of her choice. So she already has two skill proficiencies, survival and persuasion because of the warrior queen background. She's going to gain another two skill proficiencies. So she's starting with four before she even picked her class. Languages, she can speak, read and write common, elvish, and one extra language of her choice. And because of the two languages from her warrior queen background, she's going to know five languages at first level. I love that. Now, half elves give you the option to pick descents. Like what kind of elf are you descended from? Are you descended from wood elves, from a, from drow, dark elves? Uh, we're just going to go base half elf. I think that's more fitting. So now that we have background, warrior queen and race, half elf, we get to roll for stats. Rolling for stats is when you take a six-sided die, a d6, roll it four times, drop the lowest number rolled, add up the remaining three numbers to get one of the six stats. So we're going to do that six times to find out what her six stats are going to be. Okay, so I rolled. She didn't do great. I really wanted her because she's so cool and just this, oh, powerful women really do it for me. You know what I mean? Because like for a man to go down in history, he just has to be like, I don't know, above average. But for a woman to go down in history, she has to be so much more uh, extraordinary than the men have to be. Anyway, the numbers we rolled are 12, 15, 15, 10, 7, and 9. Really bad. That's just, that's bad. Ugh. All right. You got to work with what you have. So the highest number we got is 15. I'm going to put that into strength because I think that is going to be her highest stat. 
so 15 into strength. And then the next 15, I'm going to put into constitution. So 15 strength, 15 constitution. Next highest is 12. I'm putting that into charisma. Because as a half-elf, she gets a plus two to charisma, which bumps the charisma up to a 14, which is a plus two modifier. And now, also because she's a half-elf, we can choose two from strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, or wisdom. We're just going to put those two, one into strength, and one into constitution. So now strength and constitution are both 16s, which are plus threes. Uh, the next highest is 10. I'm going to put that in dex... Uh, no. I'm going to put that into wisdom. So wisdom is 10, which is a plus zero. Next highest is nine. I think nine is going to be dexterity. So nine is a negative one modifier. Terrible dexterity. She is very slow, but that's okay. And then seven, uh, we're going to put that into intelligence because that's all that's left. So she has a negative two to intelligence. I wish she had rolled better. Whenever they roll poorly like this, I'm always tempted to fudge the numbers a bit, but I don't know. I always tell my players not to lie about what they roll on the d20 because it's so much more entertaining that way if there's a chance of failure. And in this podcast, there's a chance that their stats are not going to be good. We're just going to work with what we got and make them strong anyway. So Boudicca's starting stats are 16 strength, 9 dexterity, 16 constitution, 7 intelligence, 10 wisdom, and 14 charisma. She's already proficient in survival and persuasion because of her warrior queen background that we super quickly homebrewed. But also as a half-elf, she gets proficiency in another two skills of her choice. So let's see. It said that she was very intimidating, so I think we gotta give proficiency in intimidation. Bring that to a plus four. And then let's have athletics, because she's jacked. She's described as a very large woman. Okay, next we go to languages. So she has common, elvish, and we can pick another three languages. I'm just gonna do randomly. First ones that pop into my head, halfling, uh, dwarvish, and giant. I like how the ones that popped into my head were like, very short, very short, massive. Okay, perfect. Now that we have her stats set up and her languages picked, her skill proficiencies picked, we can pick her class. I'm currently 30 minutes into recording and I haven't picked her class yet. This is going to be very fun to edit. So for class, we gotta start with fighter, right? We gave her, we made a background called the warrior queen. She's gonna be a fighter. And I love that for her. So fighter for hit points, she's got 1d10 for her hit dice. So at first level, it's just the max number on the die, 10, plus her constitution modifier. So she's starting with 13 hit points at first level, which is very good. She also has proficiencies in light armor, medium armor, heavy armor, and shields. So this actually works with her having a really bad dexterity because dexterity helps to determine armor class when you're wearing light or medium armor. But when you're wearing heavy armor, it's usually just a base number. So even though she has a minus one to dexterity with heavy armor and a shield, she can have an armor class of 18, which is really great at first level. It's just really great in general. There are some classes that even at 20th level, they probably won't have... 18 armor class, like wizards or sorcerers. She also gets proficiencies in simple weapons and martial weapons. 
No tool proficiencies, but proficiencies in strength and constitution saving throws, which is great. Those are her two best stats. So that's going to be plus five to both of those saving throws. She also gains two skill proficiencies from acrobatics, animal handling, athletics, history, insight, intimidation, perception, and survival. I think insight and perception would be helpful. I think for a warrior and for a leader like her, it's good to be insightful to know who you can trust, and it's good to be perceptive like, oh, am I about to be led into an ambush? At first level, she gets a fighting style as a fighter. I love fighting styles. Fighting styles are just styles of fighting that she can adopt as her specialty. I think I am going to give her two-weapon fighting, because I don't know why I'm imagining her with an axe in each hand, or just, uh, you know, two swords in each hand. So two-weapon fighting is when you're dual-wielding or wielding weapons in both hands. Obviously, they can't be any two-handed weapons unless you have a special feat for that. But this means you can use your action to attack with your main weapon and deal the weapon's damage plus your strength modifier or dexterity modifier, depending on the weapon or what you choose. And then you can use a bonus action to attack with your offhand weapon. And this just does the weapon's damage. So you just need a weapon with a light property, like a short sword. So she could be wielding two short swords, attack with the first one and deal 1d6 plus 3 damage, attack with the second one and deal 1d6 damage. But now with a fighting style of two weapon fighting, she can add her ability modifier to the damage of the second attack. So now use her action to attack to do 1d6 plus 3, use her bonus action to attack with her offhand for 1d6 plus 3. So that's going to be huge because if she's fighting with two weapons, that's going to double the amount of damage she can do at first level. And it's just going to give her another attack. That's so good. And as her strength goes up, that damage is just going to increase as well. At first level as a fighter, she also gains second wind. So on her turn, she can use a bonus action to regain hit points equal to 1d10 plus her fighter level, which is currently 1. And once she uses this feature, she has to finish a short or long rest before she can use it again. So that's great. She just has some healing that she can do as a bonus action once per short or long rest. Second level as a fighter, she is going to gain action surge. So once per short or long rest, she can take one additional action on top of her regular action and possible bonus action on her turn. So that means she can use her action to attack, bonus action attack with her offhand, action surge, and then use her action to attack once more. So now she can potentially attack three times in one turn. She can do that once per short or long rest. Third level, she's going to pick her martial archetype. And for this one, I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to go with Battlemaster. I was trying to look at others because pretty sure I've done Battlemaster. I think I did Battlemaster for Hammurabi, uh, but I I just think it's fitting. She's just really good at fighting. So at third level, she gains Student of War, so proficiency with one type of artisan's tools of her choice. I think those are going to be, I think those are going to be Smith's tools. So she can, uh, you know, she can make her own weapons and stuff. That'd be pretty cool. Battlemaster fighters also get combat superiority. So she's going to learn these special maneuvers fueled by special dice called superiority dice. And she's going to learn three maneuvers of her choice. So I think hers are just going to be just for damage. There are a lot of them that can be like more support maneuvers, but I think she's going to go for just this ferocity. 
So the first one's going to be Fainting Attack. So she can expend one superiority die and use a bonus action on her turn to faint. She can choose a creature within five feet of her. And until the end of the turn, she's going to have advantage on her next attack roll against that creature. And if the attack hits, you're going to add that superiority die to the attack's damage roll. So that's awesome. She can just use a bonus action to give herself advantage on her next attack. We're going to go with Menacing Attack. So when she hits a creature with Weapon Attack, she's going to expend a superiority die to attempt to frighten the target. She's going to add the superiority die to the attack's damage roll, and the target has to make a Wisdom saving throw, and on a failed save, it's frightened of her until the end of her next turn. And the DC to calculate that is just like for spells. It's going to be 8 plus her proficiency bonus, plus her strength modifier. So 8 plus 2 plus 3, they have to make a DC 14 wisdom saving throw or be frightened of Boudica if she uses menacing attack. Last one is going to be repost. So when a creature misses her with a melee attack, she can use her reaction and expend one superiority die to make a melee attack against the creature. And if she hits, she can add the superiority die to the attack's damage roll. So if someone swings at her and misses, she can just slash back. Beautiful. Okay, so those are going to be her maneuvers. She has four superiority dice currently, and those are all D8s. In order to use any of these three maneuvers, she's going to have to expend those dice, and she'll regain all of the expended superiority dice when she finishes a short or long rest. Fourth level, we are going into fighter. She's going to get an ability score improvement. So she can increase one stat by two or two stats by one or choose a feat. I think we're just going to bump up that strength to an 18, which is a plus four modifier now. Lovely. Fifth level fighter, she is going to gain extra attack. So now whenever she takes the attack action on her turn, she can attack twice. So this means she can use the attack action, attack twice, use a bonus action to attack with her offhand, and then action surge and attack another two times. So now if she action surges, she can get five attacks on one turn. And even if she doesn't, that's still three attacks on one turn. Very good. Sixth level, we are also going to go in fighter, which is another ability score improvement. So we're just going to max out strength to be 20. Now for seventh level, we are going to multi-class. I was honestly debating on multi-classing because I think just a pure fighter would be kind of fitting. But I see she has, well now she has maxed strength, she has really good constitution, and she has a plus two to charisma. So let's multi-class into paladin, right? She, she is like this righteous warrior. She's fighting for her cause. She kind of is a paladin. So she's seventh level, a first level paladin. She gains divine sense. So she can use an action to open her awareness to detect strong evil or powerful good. And until the end of her next turn, she'll know the location of any celestial fiend or undead within 60 feet of her that's not behind total cover. And she'll know which of these three types it is, but not the identity. So she'll know the type, but not the actual name of the being. And she can use this feature a number of times equal to one plus her charisma modifier, which is three times. And she regains all expended uses when she finishes a long rest. So that could be cool. If she thinks that there's some evil presence nearby, she can use Divine Sense just to make sure. And she also gets Lay on Hands. So she now has a Pool of Healing, which is equal to her Paladin level times five. So she has five hit points in this pool. And as an action, she can touch a creature, including herself, and draw power from that pool to heal. So she has five points in the pool. She can heal up to five hit points. She doesn't have to use the full amount, but she can if she wants. 
She can also use five hit points to cure the target of one disease or neutralize one poison affecting it. Curing multiple diseases and neutralizing multiple poisons with a single use of laying hands, expending hit points separately for each one. So if someone is both poisoned and diseased, you can use 10 hit points from this pool of healing to heal both. We're going to go eighth level, second in Paladin to get Divine Smite. So starting at second level, when she hits a creature with a melee weapon attack, she can expend a spell slot to deal radiant damage to the target in addition to the weapon's damage. So she attacks with her short sword, she hits, she can just choose to expend a spell slot to deal 2d8 radiant damage. So first level spell slot is 2d8, an additional 1d8 for every spell slot higher than first to a maximum of 5d8. So she can just lay on some damage now. And also, if the target of Divine Smite is an undead or a fiend, the damage automatically increases by 1d8. That's just a really cool ability. Second level, she's also going to get another fighting style. You can't pick the same fighting style more than once, so we're going to have to look and see which other one is fitting. It's not very interesting, but I think the best one here is just going to be defense, which increases her armor class by one. So we already said she's dual wielding, so she doesn't have a shield. So with just base heavy armor with an armor class of 16, and now this defense, her armor class is going to be 17, which is still really good. There was one that I really like called Blessed Warrior, but it I, I just don't think it really fits for her. Also, as a second level paladin, she gains spellcasting. So she now has two first level spell slots, and she uses charisma for the spellcasting ability for this. So at fifth level, her proficiency bonus went up to plus three. So her spell save DC for the paladin spells is going to be eight plus three plus her charisma modifier, which is two. So a spell save DC of 13 and a spell attack bonus of plus five. So not very good, but I think she's mainly going to be using these spell slots to use Divine Smite. Ninth level, we are going third in Paladin to gain Divine Health. So she is now immune to disease. And she also gets Sacred Oath, which is the Paladin subclass. So for the subclass, we are going to go with Oath of Heroism. So there are many who see Boudicca as a hero. So she's going to get some spells automatically stocked. Paladins normally choose the spells that they have stocked at the end of a long rest, but these are automatically in there. Expeditious Retreat, which can allow her to move more quickly, and Guiding Bolt, which is a ranged spell attack. So that can give her some versatility because now she can attack at a range. She also gains Channel Divinity, two Channel Divinity options, and she can use a Channel Divinity once per short or long rest. And the two that she gets are Peerless Athlete, so she can use her Channel Divinity to augment her athleticism with Divine Favor. As a bonus action, she can gain advantage on all athletics and acrobatics checks for the next 10 minutes. So that's, that's okay if she's, you know, going into like a strongman competition, that might be useful. But the second one is why I think we're going with this. It is called Legendary Strike. So she can use her channel divinity as a bonus action to guide her attacks, and for one minute, her weapon attacks score a critical hit on a 19 or 20 on the d20. So I think that's such an awesome ability, just a bonus action, and she can double her chance of getting a critical hit. 
Combined with Divine Smite, that can be really powerful because you don't have to expend a spell slot for Divine Smite until you know that you hit. So she could get a 19 on the die, know that that doubles the damage, and choose to do a Divine Smite, which now has its 2d8 damage doubled automatically to 4d8. That's fun. I like that. And I think that is it for Paladin. I think we are going to go back into fighter and stay there. Because I see her as pretty much just a fighter anyway. So the dip into Paladin was just to give her a bit of healing. Because aside from Second Wind, fighters can't really heal themselves. She gained an extra armor class. And she gained Channel Divinity, some spell casting. So I think that is nice for her. That's very good. So we're going to hop back over then 10th level character. She's going to gain another martial archetype feature from her Battlemaster subclass. So with this, she's going to learn two additional maneuvers of her choice. Let's go with trip attack. So when she hits a creature with a weapon attack, she can expend a superiority die to attempt to knock the target down. She's going to add the superiority die to the attack's damage roll, and if the target is large or smaller, it has to make a strength saving throw. And on a failed save, she knocks the target prone. So that's really awesome because she can try a trip attack as her first attack, and then if they're knocked prone, she'll get the rest of her attacks at advantage. The last one is going to be... Let's do sweeping attack. That's a really good one. So when she hits a creature with a melee weapon, she has to expend a superiority die to attempt to damage another creature with the same attack. She can choose another creature within 5 feet of the original target and within her reach, and if the original attack roll would hit the second creature, it's going to take damage equal to the number she rolls on her superiority die, and the damage is of the same type dealt by the original attack. So if she rolls high enough on the die, she can just use sweeping attack to automatically deal damage to someone standing next to her intended target. She's also going to gain an additional superiority die, so now she has 5 superiority dice, and she gains the ability Know Your Enemy. So if she spends at least one minute observing or interacting with another creature outside combat, she can learn certain information about them. So the DM will tell her if the creature is her equal, superior, or inferior in regard to two of the following characteristics of her choice. Strength, dexterity, or constitution scores, armor class, current hit points, if they have any total class level, or if they have any fighter class levels. So that could be interesting. That could help with the insight that we gave her proficiency in, and just trying to read her enemy. 11th level, that is going to be 8th level in fighter. That's another ability score improvement. Uh, I think let's... You know, I'm thinking she is going to get a bunch of ability score improvements. Let's bump up dexterity and intelligence each. So dexterity goes from a 9 to a 10, which is a plus 0, and intelligence goes from a 7 to an 8, which is a negative 1. So still very bad, but not as bad as it was. Wow, that was rough. 12th level, she gains Indomitable. If you've listened to this podcast a bunch, you know that I'm not really a fan of Indomitable. It's a 9th level ability, and all it is, is if she fails a saving throw, she can re-roll. And that's it. She can just use it once per long rest. Action Surge is such a powerful ability that she gets at second level that she can do once per short or long rest. But this, she can just re-roll a saving throw once per long rest. That's, that's like nothing. I gripe about this every time it comes up. 13th level, that's a 10th level fighter. She is going to gain another martial archetype feature from the Battlemaster subclass. And that's another two additional maneuvers of her choice. 
So she now has seven total maneuvers. Let's take a look. We're gonna go with commanding presence. So now when she makes an intimidation, performance, or persuasion check, she can expend one superiority die and add the superiority die to the ability check. So that means she can be really intimidating now. She has proficiency with it, so she can just add a superiority die now. Next is going to be brace. So when a creature she can see moves into the reach she has with the melee weapon she's wielding, so if someone just comes right up to her, she can use her reaction to expend a superiority die and just attack them. If the attack hits, she's going to add the superiority die to the weapon's damage roll. Also, at 10th level, she gains improved combat superiority. So now those 5d8s that she has of superiority dice turn to d10s. That's awesome for her. Ugh, she's so strong. Okay. So 14th level, that is 11th in fighter, she's going to gain an additional extra attack. So she can now attack three times whenever she takes the attack action on her turn. That's so cool. She can just slash, 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 and then bonus action, slash, and then action surge, and slash, slash, slash. I love that. 15th level, that's 12th level fighter. She gains, hey, look at that, another ability score improvement. Fighters gain so many. We're just going to give her the feat, menacing. Uh, I think just based off of what we know about her, what I said, what history has written about her, I'm going to give her menacing. So now her charisma increases by one, which becomes a 15. So that doesn't change the modifier at all. It's still plus two. But she now gains expertise in that intimidation skill. So that means the proficiency bonus is doubled for intimidation because she's already proficient in it. And also, when she takes the attack action on her turn, she can replace one of her attacks with an attempt to demoralize one humanoid she can see within 30 feet of her that can see and hear her. She'll make an intimidation check contested by the target's insight, and if the check succeeds, the target is frightened until the end of her next turn. And if her check fails, the target can't be frightened by her in this way for one hour. That's awesome because of her maneuver that we just gave her, she can add a d10 to this intimidation attempt to frighten a creature. And I love that for her. And now her intimidation is so high. 16th level, I said we're going to keep going in fighter, so 13th level fighter. She now has two uses of indomitable. So if she fails a saving throw, she can use indomitable to re-roll. And she can use that twice now between long rests. 17th level, that is a 14th level fighter. 14th level fighter, another ability score improvement. Uh, I keep saying slash, 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 because, because that's what I imagine her doing. So we're going to give her the slasher feat. So her strength or dexterity is increased by 1 to a maximum of 20. Well, her strength is already maxed at 20, so we're going to bump up that dexterity to 11, which doesn't change the modifier, it's still plus zero. But now, once per turn, when she hits a creature with an attack that deals slashing damage, like with one of her short swords, she can reduce the speed of the target by 10 feet until the start of her next turn. Also, when she scores a critical hit that deals slashing damage to a creature, she can grievously wound it until the start of her next turn. The target has disadvantage on all of their attack rolls. So that's really cool because if she uses her channel divinity, she can double her chances of getting a critical hit and giving that target disadvantage on all their attack rolls. So she'll lower their speed and they won't be able to run away from her. She can just chase after them. And if they do try to fight back, it'll be a disadvantage. 18th level, we're going 15th in fighter for another martial archetype feature. So many. She is going to learn 
two additional maneuvers of her choice, nine maneuvers so far. Insane. We're going to give her Grappling Strike. So immediately after she hits a creature with a melee attack on her turn, which she has so many attacks, so she's bound to hit, she can expend one of her D10s for superiority die and try to grapple the target as a bonus action. And she's going to add the superiority die to her athletics check. She already has such a high athletics, it's going to be so easy for her to attack someone and bonus action just grab them and hold them there. I love that for her. The last one is just like Commanding Presence, which allowed her to roll a superiority die and add it to an Intimidation, Performance, or Persuasion check. We're going to use Tactical Assessment. So now when she makes an Investigation, History, or Insight check, she can expend a superiority die and add the superiority die to the ability check. Well, she's got proficiency in Insight, so she's pretty good in that. And now she can add a d10. Also at 15th level, she gains another superiority die. So she now has six superiority die that she can use, and she gains Relentless. So when she rolls initiative and has no superiority dice remaining, she can regain one. So if she's in this long conflict and uses up all of her superiority die, and then immediately gets into another battle, she can regain one of the superiority die and, you know, try to use that one to the best of her abilities. 19th level, we are just flying through. That is going to be 16th level in Fighter, another ability score improvement. I think we are going to increase Dexterity and Charisma. Okay, so Dexterity is going to go up to 12, which is a plus 1 modifier, and her Charisma is going to go up to 16, which is a plus 3 modifier. So wow, we really have improved all of her stats, uh, and she still got two feats. I love that. The final level, 20th level, so strong, she gains another use of Indomitable. So now she has three uses of Indomitable. That's terrible. But she also gains another use of Action Surge. So that's, that's actually really cool. I don't think we've had another character get their second use of Action Surge. The most you can use is two. And now, boom, two. So now she can use Action Surge twice before a short or long rest, but only once on the same turn. But that's still so cool, it doubles the amount of times she can just take an extra action. And I love that for her. So that is Boudica, the warrior queen of legend. Well, not even a legend, the warrior queen of history. Her background, we made the warrior queen. Race is half-elf. She is a level 17 Battlemaster fighter and a level 3 Oath of Heroism paladin for those Divine Smites and some healing. Her ending stats were 20 Strength, 12 Dexterity, 16 Constitution, 8 Intelligence, 10 Wisdom, and 16 Charisma. For skills, she has plus 11 to Athletics, plus 6 to Insight, plus 15 to Intimidation, plus 6 to Perception, plus 9 to Persuasion, and plus 6 to Survival. She's so good at intimidating people. And we gave her the Menacing feat to further use that Intimidation, and she has a Battlemaster Maneuver that uses Intimidation as well, and she can even use uh, one of her Battlemaster abilities to add a D10 to an Intimidation check. She's so scary. I love it. Languages, she has common, elvish, halfling, dwarvish, and giant for 
whatever reason. I just, the first things that popped into my head. So that is Boudicca. I imagine her just leading people into battle, but not even needing them around. Her versus a horde of people uh, using these sweeping attacks, using trip attacks, using her channel divinity to gain crits on 19 or 20 to just get better use out of Divine Smite, which doubles the damage on a crit. Just taking people apart with all of these attacks, swords in both hands, just this whirling dervish of mayhem and power and ferocity. And I love that for her. So that is Boudica. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Fantasize Me. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at FantasizeMePod and email in character suggestions at FantasizeMePod at gmail.com. I am Looking forward to the day when those suggestions start coming in. Because uh, I, uh, I just googled notable women throughout history and picked the one that I found the most interesting at the time. Uh, so yeah, email those in. And thank you so much for listening. We'll do this again next week. Bye!